welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Um, this week, I'm joined by my usual co-host, Andres. No Sam. Um, hopefully, he'll be back with us after the Borussia Dortmund match um, in a Champions League midweek. Uh, but for the sake of reviewing the Premier League fixture against West Ham, the London Derby, as well as previewing um, the Borussia Dortmund match coming up on Wednesday, um, that will be on me and Andres. So, Andy, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I am uh, full of chicken wings, beer, and whiskey after the Super Bowl because America and all that. And I also want to throw out Let's be honest, Sam is just healing from probably an awful hangover because he celebrated a buddy of his bachelor party on some fancy lake or something. So he's off because his liver asked him to. <laughs> we, need, we need to put it out there. Yeah, um, we actually shut Sam down for the night uh, as a team. We felt that it would be to the benefit of us all. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, he's probably hung over somewhere, lying in a ditch, catching up on some sleep. Um, so while he's doing that, um, let's talk about the game a little bit, Andy. Um, not the Super Bowl, obviously. Um, but this West Ham United match. So I guess I'll just kind of start with the starting lineups and then we'll dive into the first half, um, to talk about it in a little bit more detail. Starting in goal. Kepa Ariza Balaga retaining his place. Uh, center back pairing of Badiashil and Silva remain intact for this one. Reese James starts on the right. Kukurea out on the left. Enzo Fernandez starting um, as part of our double pivot next to Ruben Loftus Cheek, which we'll get to in a little bit. Turned out to be an interesting partnership. Um, the three in front of our pivot, we got our wish. Mudrik on the left. Joao Felix up the middle playing a traditional 10 role. Manueke out on the right. Kai Havertz starting up top playing strikers. So um, before we kind of get your take on the lineup situation, um, I'm just going to kind of throw this tweet out there from Johnonomics too, because I think it pretty much summarizes the way I feel about waking up at 4.30 for Chelsea games. <laughs> he said, can we not keep having early kickoffs and only play Sunday evening? So when the inevitable loss or draw happens, the weekends aren't totally ruined. Some of these players deserve better. And I'm actually going to double down on that. I think some of the fans deserve better. Fans like me that wake up at 4.30 a.m. to be disappointed time and time again. But um, Andy, I mean, your thoughts on the starting lineup? Almost perfect. Almost perfect based on meritocracy, players out of form, what's available in terms of healthy players. I was completely shocked to see RLC jump straight back into the starting 11. Um, aside from him, I think this is exactly what I thought would happen. I did not think Potter would bench both Mount and Kai. And I just thought the 60 minutes of Kai and, and Felix together was enough of a leash to give Kai one more attempt of starting with all those other players you mentioned behind him. So on paper, this was perfect. I thought this was the, the best case scenario. You know, our midfield is still very injured. Gallagher wasn't the greatest partner um, in the double pivot uh, in the last match. So to me, I thought 
yeah, this is as good as it's going to get for this. And I thought this team can get it done. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I mean, I think as much as I wanted to see Fofana start, finally, um, the evidence that we got in the Fulham match, the first Fulham match, when Jamal Felix got sent off, the connection between him and Felix Havertz that is looked really good. It looked really solid. So I wasn't too opposed with that. But other than that, I think the lineup was pretty much spot on. I think the only other adjustment I would have made, and we'll get to this a little bit later, was maybe not starting Kukurea and going for possibly Lewis Hall. Um, you know, if you know you're going to give a guy 60 or 70 minutes only and Chilwell's going to come on eventually, then why play the guy that's out of form? Just go ahead and play the 18-year-old that seems to be in form. So that's really the only thing I would have changed, though, um, other than that. I thought we were, I thought we were pretty decent. And to kind of caveat that into the first half performance i thought the first half was pretty decent overall as well um you know we looked good fluid in possession um you know obviously not much to show for it outside of the joao felix school but um i thought the patterns of play were there i thought we were um, playing on the front foot it looked like the team was playing freely and fluid um but most of all enzo fernandez and joao felix look like they have quite the partnership i think that was the glaring uh, the glaringly obvious thing in this match, or at least the first half. Uh, Andres, just before I kind of get into their stats and what why they impressed me, just give us your take on you know their chemistry and seems to be almost instantaneous, huh? Yeah, I mean we we knew that you know there's something about actually having world class players. You can put them into the pitch and then they do the rest, but. For Felix to have more of a direct uh, sort of feeding system to get the ball, I thought that it just makes both Enzo's life easier and it just suits Felix to be sort of the puppet master from from the 10 position. I thought that they connected very well. I thought that Felix's movement to get options and to get open for Enzo was really good even at times when he was sort of the dangerous option, Felix was able to actually dribble himself out of trouble in tight spaces, which was fantastic to see. Uh, before we just continue to wax lyrical on these guys, I do want to point out that not nothing to show, but we were inches away from three goals. Uh, Felix in the first one chipped the keeper, hits the post, gets to tap it in. He was inches away. It was one of those things where like there was a defender on the opposite end of the pitch that almost kept him onside. And then Mudrik with a very, very like smart, almost like a cutback through ball where he's dribbling to the middle and then puts the ball through in the opposite direction to Kai. And Kai's about half a shoulder offside on that one as well. And he rounds the keeper. So the, the movement and the play overall, I thought was really, really positive. Those first 30 ish minutes from, all the new players, but yeah. I mean, it does. It, it just does not get better than Enzo and, and Jao Felix. It's. I saw someone sort of say, you know, we had Lampard to Drogba, and then more recently we had Fabregas to Diego Costa, and it was the it's it's these sort of unexplainable connections, and the Felix goal just sort of put those two things together and it, this might be the next partnership. 
Enzo yeah. puts the ball into a, a perfectly drifted into the back post run from Felix. One touch. The guy doesn't even look up. If you rewatch the goal, mm-hmm. he his face, the moment his face is looking towards the left because he's looking at the cross come in and his foot is opened up way to the right so that he can hit that back post or sorry, the front post instead of go back across the goal. It was thing of beauty. I haven't seen a goal that nice in a while. And and again, yeah. their their interchange is it's the most exciting I've seen Chelsea play in a very, very long time. That sort of 35 to 40, like sort of the, the time period pre-West Ham goal. Yeah. And I think I think seeing Enzo occupy a space like that and obviously playing a perfect cross, it just makes me more curious about him playing in a more advanced role. If we can get a traditional DM to kind of play behind him and do more of the defensive work. If we can find a way to get Enzo Fernandez in those little half spaces in and around the box, he's not just a threat with those crosses like we saw to Felix, but he's also a threat with his dribbling. He can he can beat his man 1v1 and you know find some space in the box for a shot, or he can even rip one from outside. So tons of options if we can get Enzo in that position, but nonetheless, a really good cross. And Andy, I, I know you said Joao Felix didn't look when he scored that goal, but... If you actually rewatch it, I thought you were going to mention that Enzo didn't even specifically look for Joao Felix on that cross. It was more so he just floated the ball into a really dangerous area. And Joao Felix had the the nounce and the know-how to just kind of get on the end of things and make the correct run. So again, it goes to the point you were mentioning. World-class players do world-class things. They don't necessarily have to have you know a, a, a clear communication on the pitch before something actually happens. It could be more of a Enzo realizing, hey, if I put the ball in this area and nobody gets on the end of it, it's not my fault. And Joao Felix saying, okay, I'm going to make a run back post. And if I don't get the ball, it's whoever didn't cross its fault. So it's kind of a, you know, a, a double speared situation in that, in that regard. But more so on the Enzo front, because I want to focus in on him for a sec. Um, in this match, he completed more passes, 84 out of 94. Made more ball recoveries with a total of seven, more interceptions with a total of two, more tackles with a total of three than any other Chelsea player against West Ham United. Um, so this just kind of goes to show. I, yeah, he's a total machine and he's a workhorse. And this just proves that this is the exact profile of player that we were missing, especially in our midfield. Um, on the Joao Felix front, he created more chances than any other Chelsea player, attempted the most take-ons with six, um, won more ground duels with eight, and drew three fouls. Um, um, those, all those stats are courtesy of at Mazel Football on Twitter. Go follow them if you guys get the chance. They, they're really awesome um, with posting you know, just some interesting stats. But you know, again, we talk about this chemistry and we talk about the link-up play between them two. But I kind of want to pose a question to you that's not even here on the script, Andres. The run that I saw from Joao Felix was more of a number nine run than I think I've seen Kai do that whole entire game. So with that being said, um, I know we would like to see Joao Felix playing in the 10 long term, but he, he can be a stopgap at the nine if we absolutely need to, right? Like I feel like he would perform a false nine role better than Kai would. I feel like you could make that argument without being shunned. Um, I don't know simply because I think we don't want the full attention of center backs on Jao Felix. The the ability for him to 
to go from left side of the pitch to the right side of the pitch. So not freely because he's doing the hard work to get there. If he's at the false nine, I don't know if he's going to find that same sort of space. If anything, I think he just needs to have somebody in front of him that can pull the trigger. Like, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things like you don't put Juan Mata at striker because Juan Mata is creative, you know, and I, I think, again, I don't like moving somebody else because whoever was in in another position is failing. So to me, it's like, no, leave him at the 10. He's a nightmare. Like Post-match, Declan Rice was like, no, this dude was a fucking nightmare to, to defend. Like he was everywhere. He was on the left. He was on yeah. the right. He would come back. He would drift into behind me. Like you need to let him have that free role and then let him like, again, be that sort of uh, kind of puppeteer. Like he has the ball at his feet. Then he can see what else is going to go around him. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to see him as a nine of anything like worst case, see him as a winger, but mm. I, I just, cause you know, wingers in, in, in today's football can switch sides. They can drift to the other side and then get back to their position. So to me, let Fofana, Obama, Yang, like give somebody else a chance if Kai's not the answer and, and let them be actual nines that look for the ball on the run into the box or something and they can have a striker's finish. Cause I think that's the only thing missing yeah. um, currently. I mean, that's what I was alluding to. I think it's more so the run and the finish on that Enzo goal was typical of a number nine. I mean, that's something you see a nine do. Right. Back but again, post, peel but, off the but, back shoulder. But is, is he, is that a result of other like Kai also being there? Right. Like if Kai's not there, like if a nine is not there, does Felix get to, Lip away. That's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah. No, I I I, see, I definitely see both points. And look, I'm agreeing. I I think the ten is Felix's best position, but there seems to be a reluctance to play Fofana. I mean, he didn't even warm up against West Ham, which I'll get to in a bit. That ticked me the fuck off. And then the other thing is Kai Havertz just hasn't been doing it. It looks like Aubameyang is. One foot out the door. I mean, we were ready to loan him to LAFC last week until he declined to move. So if there's no other striker options, and it's either Kai or Joao or an informed Joao Felix. Sterling. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could play Sterling there. That's a good shout. He played some of the some false nine England City and, too. and City. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He, he played he played there for he, City a lot. He, he is pushed. a bit of a fox in the box. Like and yeah. and. Even under Tuchel, we were deploying him centrally at first. Like mm-hmm. he has an eye for getting open inside the box. It's more about like the issue with him. Him is like when it slows down, he's a bit of a one-trick pony. Like yeah. we've seen it. He cuts it back to his right foot, and, and he he goes for that far post curler. So you know that if we're going for that full-blown fluidity, it's 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 not the worst idea. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, Another person that Enzo seemed to form a decent partnership was RLC. I was surprised to see him on the on the team sheet starting. Um, I got to be honest, though, man. He looked good. He looked really healthy. good. Yeah, healthy, strong. Um, the physicality's back. I think he looks comfortable with how healthy he is as well. You know, he's making a lot of lung-busting runs, taking players on 1v1 really using his size to his advantage, which is something that we didn't see as much from him um, when he was nursing injuries and playing through them. So it's good to see that RLC is healthy. It's good to see that he's back. 
And, you know, I just never would have imagined that a great foil for Enzo would have been RLC. But now that I'm actually looking at it, I feel like an idiot because by definition, RLC is pretty similar to Kovacic in terms of when they have the ball at their feet, they want to run at defenders. Um, So having a foil that can break the lines with, you know, dribbling and power um, partnered next to somebody that is just sort of one step ahead in the passing game. it's really nice to see. What did you think about it? Yeah, I think, you know, I just didn't expect him because we haven't seen his name even on the bench for so long. I just didn't expect him to jump back in. And to be honest, we hadn't seen the best of lots of cheek in a while. Um, there was kind of a period of form at the end of Tuchel's reign at the beginning of Potter's reign. So the thing that I forgot the most is Loftus cheek unlike some players that we've had in recent history takes instruction well yeah you know when he was playing the six and the three five two at one point for Tuchel he was in the right places he was trying to do the right things he might not have done them but he was doing what he was told and I think that's what worked so well with Enzo here it's he was positionally sound and whenever he chose to make the runs it was the right time to do it. It wasn't that Enzo pushed forward and then suddenly Loftus-Cheek is forward and our midfield is vacant. And I thought that's the part where, you know, he he's not a kid. Loftus-Cheek is 27 years old. Like he under, he has a probably better understanding of the game than someone like Gallagher, who is still trying to like catch up to speed and, and understand his role here at Chelsea. Uh, but, I mean, the guy was almost perfect. I thought being pulled off was probably because he hasn't played before like as much recently because mm-hmm. he was 93% in his passing. He was five for five with his dribbling and a hundred percent on his tackles. And he won eight of nine duels. Like he was exactly what you would expect to be the foil to Enzo. And, and you mentioned Kovacic, I'd say Loftus cheek is a little bit more penetrating in the attack. And, and that's the one part that, you know, it's 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 also his weakness, but in a different way. Like Kovacic will never score you a goal. Loftus Cheek just might not find the final pass, which we saw in one play on the right side where he dribbled his way all the way into the box, and then the last decision was just not there. But again, I it was really nice to see him. This is another guy that is fighting for his life here at Chelsea. He his contract is, you know, not a long one his role is not secured he continues to say he wants to stay and it's now or never for him so i hope he keeps performing this way i I don't see why you don't go back to this pivot midweek yeah and you know uh, while you were talking i was just kind of writing out my predicted starting lineup against dortmund and i I, i'm I'm very hard pressed to pick gallagher over rlc i mean i'm not going to pick mount to play there just based on his current form. Kovacic is still out. Zakaria is still out. Conte is still out. So I think those three guys would probably be in the pecking order ahead. But just based on the evidence that we saw, I mean, RLC looked pretty good. And, and, and he's similar to Enzo in the sense that he doesn't give the ball away that much, right? Like he's, he's not necessarily press resistant with his passing, but if he receives the ball and, and you know has a sloppy touch, he's able to shield the defender away from it and kind of right. be enough of a nuisance to keep the ball and just sort of keep the play moving as opposed to just 
making a silly pass or falling over and asking for a foul and losing possession. So good on him. I mean, it's, it's, it's important that he comes back and, um, you know, hits a, hits a certain run of form. And it's nice to see that his first game back after all these new signings, he looks motivated. That's the big thing here, right? We signed a brand new shiny midfield player and our still looks motivated. So that's huge. Um, I want to talk about our other new signings, uh, Madueke and Mudrik. Um, Listen, I think I think I, I I've spoken my piece on Madueke. I think he looks like a pretty quality player. Um, the injury history is a little worrying, but you know the first touch, the pace, the willingness to take players on. I know in this game tactically he was all over the damn place. He was giving the ball away left, right, and center towards the end of that first half. But beginning of the second half too. The beginning of the second half too, yeah. But overall. I mean, this guy looks like he could be a, a serious Premier League player if he develops the right way. Yeah, I mean, and again, when the thing that kills this team still and, and the thing that needs to be fixed is how far the energy levels drop when something doesn't go our way, a.k.a. get scored on and it's back to square one. The second half for Madueke wasn't good. But if you look at the numbers, it just feels like all his mistakes happened in the span of 10 minutes in the second half. And then his confidence might have been shot because he was only dispossessed twice. Like in the whole match, he only missed two passes. He had one shot blocked. So it's like... Okay, his crossing wasn't as perfect in the second half. I think, like I said, I think the moment the goal happens for West Ham, the whole team performance went down. He's still adjusting to the Premier League. But I still think he, so far, and and I think it's a matter of he plays on the right versus the left. (laughs) And we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. Sterling needs to worry is where I'm at right now. And, and And it's not like immediate but if he progresses the way i specifically think he can because he has the physical attributes he's six foot he's big he's fast sterling should sort of push himself to to get back into the starting 11 as soon as possible because we're basically sterling is lucky madueke is not registered for champions league right now yeah that's where i'm at right now i think Mm -hmm. It's a matter of time for one of these shots to to come off his left foot and score sort of thing. Like once the connections with with the rest of the attack kind of cement and Reese James is back to 100% to where he can actually overlap throughout the match, he's going to be feasting. Mm-hmm. So I I felt really good about him early on. Second half I thought his confidence went to crap, but at the same time, we'll get to the second half, he's not the only guy. So Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I I pretty much agree with you on all fronts. I think I think anybody that wants to play on the right wing for Chelsea Football Club right now should be a little worried because out of all of our new signings, obviously Felix looks like he's, you know, the shiny attacking signing that is actually thriving. Mudrik's still a little struggle, but Madueke's looked better than Mudrik so far, um, and he's actually looked like our best winger in the last two matches. <laughs> which is saying a lot considering, you know, how poor he was in the second half. But nonetheless, young player, takes time, obviously. 
Potter did take him off, um, you know, after he misplaced a couple passes in a row there. Um, the Mudrik, on the other hand, playing on the left-hand side just in front of Kukurea, um, again, not the most inspiring performance from him. I know he had an offside goal, um, or actually it was a pass. Assist, assist. Yeah, 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 it was the assist. Really nice assist, good vision. Or actually, I, I take it back, his – I'm confusing – the one great pass that Kukreya had is the one that Kai Havertz actually rounds the keeper on. The Mudrik one, Havertz gets through, gets called offside, but by the time he's in the box, he gets caught and he doesn't get mm-hmm. the shot off. It was still yeah. a fantastic ball, though. Yeah, and I think with Mudrik, he's a little different. I think he needs to be protected a little bit in the sense that... Um, he he needs to be given the time and the freedom to make those mistakes, you know, not not protection in terms of hooking him even earlier than Potter has been doing, but if he's struggling, you got to kind of let the guy play through it a little bit. And my big gripe here, Andres, with the whole Mudrik situation, is if he's playing in front of a left back that is actually willing to pass the ball to him, maybe his game changes a bit. Not just passing the ball to him, overlapping him, underlapping him. I'm yeah. talking about cre- le- le- having a left back like a Chilwell, for example, who's great at overlapping and underlapping and creating space and creating those one and one v one opportunities for our wingers, so they can run at their defenders and create opportunities. I mean, that's where Mudrik's at its best. And I think the big frustration with Chelsea fans now, obviously, Kukurea is a big sticking point because he hasn't been in the greatest form. But with Mudrik specifically, he's not getting isolated. We bought the guy to be a 1v1 baller, right? And if he's not getting isolated and put in those positions where he can run at his defender and show us his skill, he's essentially useless at this point in his Chelsea career because he doesn't know the system. He hasn't necessarily found his footing in the Premier League. And he doesn't have any standout chemistry with one other specific player like Joao Felix does with Enzo. So his real, his only thing that he can bank on right now is his work rate and his 1v1 ability. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to exploit that 1v1 ability. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what Michael Conan was asking about, right? He's asking mm-hmm. if, if it's tactical or if it's the commitment to Kukurea that's going to waste Mudrik. And, you know, we, we talk about, is he not getting isolated? I think it's, it's simple. It's just Kukurea right now has zero confidence to make a forward pass. And the... If you look back at the highlights or the lowlights of Kukurea's day, time and time again, Mudrik is right there, 10 yards ahead of him, wanting the ball to feet so that he can make Kufal look like a fool. And the ball just doesn't get there. And mm-hmm. it's time and time again. And, and I remember during the match, I was actually thinking, oh, Mudrik is just making too many forward runs. But in reality, it's just Kukurea just keeps dribbling into the space that should have been covered by a pass. It was the extra mm-hmm. touch forward, extra touch forward, extra touch forward, and then back all the way back. Um, and, and I think that's really it because when Mudra gets the ball to feet, good things were happening. I, I don't think – I think this is now the second match in a row where his surroundings are more of the issue than him. In the the last match was who again? Liverpool. I'm sorry, I'm blanking out. The no, oh, no, Liverpool no, no. Sorry, 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 sorry. Fulham, Fulham, Fulham. Fulham. Mm-hmm. The issue there was Mount took all of his space, 
and it was a crowded left wing spot. Therefore, he did not even have the space to get the ball. Now, this one, I thought he was even better positionally uh, to look the, for the ball, and Kukreya just refused to give him the ball. And then you see Chilwell come in for one second, and he puts a one-touch cross in, and then he gets himself into the box and is unlucky to get to the ball. So mm. right now, Kukureya, if anyone needs to be protected, is Kukureya because at this point, he's looking like the worst signing of the summer window. And, yeah. and it's crazy because you watch his first matches where, where we were still under Tuchel, and the story was much like Jao Felix. This dude came right in. He is zipping passes. He is doing everything right. It's like a glove, blah, blah, blah. And obviously his head's not there. And mm. I think Mudrik is going to be fine. The dude is the dude is humble to an extent, but he's a, a cocky son of a bitch. I think he'll be okay. I think he knows. I mean, another thing went viral today that he joked that, yeah, I need a better left back. Like he was talking to some Ukrainian teammate and allegedly he said yeah just give me a better left back and i'll cook like he believes in himself i don't think he needs to be pulled i no. want mudrick starting again i just think bring in lewis hall or or chillwell if and go from there like i said there's a reason why madueke right away worked mm -hmm. and that's because you have reese james on one side who's not 100 percent, but even 70 percent reese james is way better than kukureya right now and then Loftus-Cheek comes in as if he never left and has a fantastic game as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty much it. Like, Unfortunately, when the ball got to Enzo every time, it was a backwards pass from, from Kukureya. And because of every single touch that he took, all Enzo had to do was switch the, the field. So it would never get back to Mudrik. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just think give Kukureya a break and we'll get to see the real full unleashed Mudrik who will be full of mistakes, but again, what we signed, what we're yeah. supposed to be seeing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not taking too much concern with the West Ham goal. Um, to be honest with you, I think it could have been defended better. I mean, I am looking at Reese yeah. James and saying, I mean, you and Madueke. And Madueke. I mean, you guys should both know that, you know, there's somebody flying down your wing. Um, and Reese James, I mean, he should know better that there's somebody, you know, in the box right behind him. But um, the fact of the matter is we should be able to score more than one goal against the West Ham. Yeah. I mean, they're 17th in the table. And against Fulham. Like, it, it, it's now Same becoming thing. a repetition. It's a recurring theme. So, you know, everybody that's focusing on the way we conceded the goal and that not being the reason why we won, eh, not this time. Not for me. Um, and, you know, to be honest, West Ham were pretty shit on the game overall. I didn't think they were very good whatsoever. Um, yeah. I mean, this game was really there for the taking, but story of our lives, right? Story of our season. Um, I want to continue on the Kukurea front really quickly and just kind of vent for a second because we talk about protecting players and Kukurea needing that. Potter said in the post-match press conference that, you know, he's in a tough run of form and we all know that, and the, you know the fans are obviously disgruntled, and they're entitled to feel the way they feel because he hasn't been playing well, and yada, yada yada yada. Okay, Graham, if that's the case, why are we continuously playing him and running him to the ground like Mason Mount, 
like Kai Havertz, like players like that. And, and, and you know, Kukurea is not that old. He's the same age as Mason Mount. He's 24. So it's not like you're looking at a seasoned veteran player that is just having, you know, two or three bad games and he's going to play his way out of it like a prime Aspie would. No, no, no. You have to learn how to protect these players and put them in positions where you know they'll succeed so you can slowly start to build that confidence up little by little until he gets back to the player he was at Brighton and for us in the beginning of the season for the first few matches. That's my real gripe with this whole thing is you know, I, I know I've been calling out for having consistency with the team selection and figuring out you know this is my nailed on 11 and this is, this is who we're going to play and yada, 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 but... Good lord! I mean, Lewis Hall did more than okay job playing at left back, and I yeah. think he'll be even better um, with Mudrick because he's a midfield player and he understands how wingers like to move and where they like to receive the ball. And he's also energetic. You know, he'll overlap and underlap and make runs into the box. Right. He's found his way into the box a few times already. So that's my frustration, man. It's like play Lewis Hall if you know Chilwell's only has twenty minutes in him. Play Lewis Hall for an hour and then give Lewis Hall the last or uh, play Lewis Hall the first hour and give Chilwell the last 20 or 30. You know, it's, 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 it's really that simple. I mean, and, and worst case, worst case, you pull him at half. Exactly. If, if we you. concede the goal, it's 1-1, like, fuck, the little kid, you know, Lewis Hall, shit, bad performance. Take him out. Kukuria can do 45 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. like, if it gets to that. I think, to go back to the Potter thing, I, I just think it's, it it almost feels like the transition from oh when I took over at Brighton to get to where I needed to go, I, I just had to make the performances good, and then they were going to believe that the results would come. But at the end of the day, regardless of what the project is and what you know you were given the five year deal, it's the expectation just has to be higher. Like it it just can't be draw 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 draw. Because while the performance was better and even Jao Felix said, yeah, you know, we thought we could win. Like everything we did led to win. You have to be able to do it, to then believe mm-hmm. it over and over and over again. So we beat Crystal Palace. Great. We've drawn three in a row. All three matches were there for us to win. Liverpool, Fulham, and now this one. So now we, by by saying, oh, you know, the performances are getting better. That's what I'm trying to do right now and and i get the part where he's talking about the minutes and increasing the minutes and getting everybody up to speed but get a fucking ugly goal and win just once Mm -hmm. just get the win get get one win and then let's see if we can get two in a row like you have to get that going so that the players can believe that if we're tied one one with 30 minutes left we can do this because we have done it Mm-hmm. And that just hasn't happened under Graham Potter yet. When yeah. we were winning at the beginning because we were healthy, we were winning the whole time. I don't think, and, and again, if people are listening have a better memory than I do, call me out if, if we were losing matches and then turn them around. I think that issue has been there before and it hasn't changed with Potter. And you need to link up wins to then go from there we were linking up clean sheets which was nice but but then the missing piece was the win the three points yeah we need to get those and and i'm not saying oh we need them because top four is there 
We just need them so that this group of young players can learn to win together. Period. That's it. We just need to learn to win. Yeah. They 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 do the they like it was all vibes. Maduake great on the dribble. Felix everywhere, fantastic. He got his goal. Enzo fucking machine, great. Adi Ashil a fucking wall. But at the end of the day, we have nothing to show for it. We have underlying stats, but no results. And I think you don't have to be so, in a way, stubborn, even though he doesn't come off stubborn, about performances are getting better, and just get a result here and there. It You're going to be here, yes, but get the result. Teach them to sometimes you just need the result. I don't the need thing- you to. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Um, the thing that really gets to me, and like, I've been a Potter apologist this entire time. And I'm, for the record, I'm just throwing it out there. I am still not Potter out. Very much so, not Potter out. But the doubts are starting to creep in now. Like, I gave him the benefit of the doubt a few times already. And I, I guess the things that are concerning me. Well, there's three things. I mean, one, we talk about the the inability to change things up, right, in different positions. It seems to be the same old tricks time and time again, and we're just we're just keep reverting back to this to the same games, and it's the same languid side to side passing for the last thirty minutes, spamming crosses into the box without an actual nine in there, just like. Hopeless romantic type of shit. That's number one. Number two is that I think he's... It's going to sound worse saying it out loud, but I think he's incapable of protecting players. I really do. I'm really starting to see that. You look at guys like Kai Havertz, guys like Mason Mount, guys like Kukurea, um, you know, the... It, it, it's baffling that they continue to get minutes that they continue to get chosen over other players that have been brought in on some of them on big wages, some of them on big transfer fees. And those guys aren't even getting a look in, but we keep playing the same guys that are out of form time and time again. It doesn't help the fans. It doesn't help Potter's situation. It doesn't help the team perform better. And if anything, and this is the most important thing, it fucks with the player. And I said it last week. Mason Mount, 24 years old, not having the greatest season. He's at a crossroads that a lot of young English players found themselves at at this stage in their career when they you know, had a lightning start to the first three or four years at senior level and then sort of tailed off and never really regained that form or met the potential that they had from before. Still high on Mount, still think he could reach that potential one day, but it doesn't help when the manager continuously played him five, six, seven matches starting when it was five, six, seven matches too long. Like he, he was starting five, six, seven matches past his due date. Almost. You get what I'm saying? And it's, it's frustrating. The same thing goes with Kai Havertz play Fana for God's sake. He looked half decent when we got the 15 minute cameo for him. He didn't even fucking warm up in this game. Fofana's not selected for our champions league team. So he's not playing at midweek. That means it's between Kai and Aubameyang. Aubameyang has one foot out the fucking door. That means we're going to be stuck watching Kai Havertz. Aubameyang is off. Aubameyang's not on the list. Oh, he's not even on the list. Okay, even better. Now we're fucked. It's Kai, Felix, Sterling. 
I don't know if Ofana gets the special pass. I think he doesn't because he hasn't been here for two years. I think that's what the the rule is. So yeah, yeah. I I think I my my issue wasn't that Fofana didn't start the game. My issue is like you said the the lack of tactical change because today I watched United. They played yeah. Leeds, and they also deploy a four two three one. And for seventy percent of the game, Leeds was on the front foot. Every chance was leads, 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 leads. 70th minute, subs. 4-4-2. Four, four, Rashford moves up next to Val Veghorst. You put Garnacho on the left. I think they allowed Bruno to slide to the right. And what did they do? They started spamming crosses. Because now they have two guys in the box that are at least going to be there. And go from there. But they have an actual nine. They have no, no, a big but- man. But but the the thing is they changed they had the plan to change to the four it was subs yeah. change of of system to mm-hmm. allow us to play ugly but efficient because about that course is almost seven feet tall and and Rashford is on absolute fire so you take him away mm-hmm. from progression you put him close to the goal let's see what happens they scored two goals they had a third taken away by offside three points in a matter of twenty minutes and and before I pass it back off to you yeah. I saw this, somebody said this earlier this weekend, and I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. The first half is for the players. The second half is for the manager. Mm-hmm. The players go out and put their fucking feet out there. They do what you practiced all week for the first half. The manager watches, and in the second half, he determines what needs to change. It starts in the locker room, and from there. The second half started like crap. And then the subs were also absolute dog shit. Yeah. Um, all of them. I, I don't I don't before I like outside of Chilwell, excuse me, Chilwell, the one shining light of, of that of that crew. Because if I'm not mistaken, uh, Mace was not great besides that effort run. His I, movement was okay. I mean he the, looked the a effort little... run where he outran two players and then crossed it back in. That was a good yeah. one. Outside of that, not much. Not much. Ziyech, Nothing. Again, nothing. And and again, it's like if Aubameyang has a foot out the door, Ziyech whole, wholeheartedly left. And and again, I want to give him a slight pass because he just had a major loss in his family. But why the fuck is Carney not coming in? Yeah. What what happened? What happened to Chubomeka? What he, happened to him? What happened to again? You said Fofana came in against Fulham. We're looking for up. a goal. Play two up top. And then mm-hmm. if if you really, really don't want to take out Felix, let him play left wing. Yeah. Because he can do that. I mean, that's play a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-2. Add an extra body centrally. That's a mm-hmm. big body or, or, an, or a nuisance. And, well, and we haven't seen that yet. And, and that's the part that's frustrating. He made a three-player substitution. And, and all it was was downgrades across the board. Again, outside of Chilwell, who, God, I can't wait for him to have 90 minutes. And, and it nothing changed. Nothing changed. We we had this issue with the crosses for since Lampard now, where the game gets frustrated. We go to crosses. If we're gonna do that, help the team out and put a fucking number nine out there. Yeah, I, it, the thing that frustrated me, and that, that was actually the third point that I was gonna get to. That that when I talk about the doubts with Potter, it's the substitutions. I, I don't really understand them. You know, again, you talked about it. In the 67th minute, 
We took out Mark Kukurea, replaced him with Ben Chilwell, and took out Mikhailo Mudrik and replaced him with Hakeem Ziyech. We essentially replaced we replaced the whole. Well, we replaced our left back, and you know, um, we took out our left winger. Three out of so, five midfielders. Yeah. So when I saw Chilwell was coming on, I'm thinking, "Fuck yeah, we finally get to see Mudrik in space." Mm-hmm. But he gets taken off, and this is what I'm talking about. This is the opposite of protecting your player in this situation. If you really like. In no universe right now, the future left side of Chelsea Football Club is Kukurea and Mudrik for the foreseeable. It's Kukur- it's Chilwell and Mudrik. We all know Chilwell was miles ahead of, of Kukurea in the pecking order when he's healthy and when he's available. So let Chilwell come in and play with the guy that he's going to be fucking playing with. It's, it's so frustrating that both of them... Uh, that Mudrik got taken off and Chilwell got thrown on at the same time because I'm calling out at halftime for Chilwell to come on for Kukurea so we could get some more spark on that left-hand side and maybe we look more dynamic. You know, Chilwell is a is a is a is an overlapping fiend. That's his favorite thing in the world is an overlap or an underlap. What does he Mikhailo wants to get Mudrik- forward? Yeah, he he's wants to gonna, get forward. Whether he gets the ball or not, he's going to help somebody else get space. Exactly. Right up Mudrik's alley. You want to fix Mudrik? Play him with Chilwell. Like, these are some of the things that are frustrating me when I watch Potter and watch the way some of the decisions that he's making. It's because I'm just an armchair fan. I don't have fucking UEFA credentials. But I'm able to see it. You're able to see it. Som could see it. Everybody that we talk to in our group chats could see it. The lovely Bop Ultras could see it. It's just gotten to the point now where it's almost predictable that the subs aren't going to be bang on. And to be fair, Loftus-Cheek didn't get much playing uh, playing time prior to this match. He's coming off an injury. Maybe not. Maybe he's not 100% fit. Maybe we're protecting him a little bit and saving him for the Borussia Dortmund game. I'm not mad yeah. that he came off for Gallagher. I actually thought Gallagher looked half decent. Should have won us a penalty. Right, nine times out of ten, yeah. yep. he wins us a penalty in that situation, yep. and, and we're we'll come, and we'll come back it. to the penalty yeah. in a bit. Yeah, but, but it's the other substitutions that are really frustrating, and, and and that's where that's where I kind of get this disconnect with Potter because, you know, I get and I understand that you have a system in a way that you want to play, but to what you said, Andres, if it's not working, where's Plan B? Where's Plan C? Where's our ultra defensive mindset? Where's our ultra attacking mindset? Where's the in between? Right. right now, we only have one way of playing. We're very one dimensional, and that's the frustrating part. We brought in all these new shiny signings. We could run four four two. We could run four three three four two three one. We could play any version of three at the back that you want. You could play four five one. It could be anything with the players that we have, but we continue to play the same system and keep throwing. Um, you know the same fucking shit at the same wall and it's not sticking. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It, 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 yeah. It's, it's very frustrating, man. And, it, and I was going to say like before I didn't make this point cause we were a depleted bench. It, yeah. This is the first week where all your toys for the most part, you know, Sterling of course had to pick up a knock, but which is just not healthy yet. But those subs 
again, you don't Kovacic coming on. What could he have really done at that point that Loftus Cheeks hadn't provided? Because again, he had a great game, hmm. but like, man, I just you had your toy, you had everyone available today, and and you didn't have like you said, you don't you didn't have a plan B, and and you can argue, oh, well, he's focusing on plan A. The first thirty minutes were so good, and it's like, well, here's the thing. Everyone and their mother knows we're not good at finishing. So like you have to have an in case of emergency break the glass moment. Mm-hmm. And, and and we don't yet. Like like you said, there's there's such clear ones. Ten Hag goes to two men up front. Mourinho mm-hmm. would make Ivanovic run forward. Klopp sends Van Dyke forward. Uh, the Netherlands legitimately brought in six foot five or over players against Argentina and fucking bombed the ball into the into the box. Like you you have to have an a forget X's and O's and send it plan. Yeah. And we don't have that. Right now the team falls back to spam cross, spam cross, spam cross, spam cross, and your substitutes didn't add size to be in that box. So again, you had a whole week. And and before this with the Fulham match, I think he had two weeks. So now it's like, I, is he I is he Go is ahead. he just like not hands on enough? Because like I've never been frustrated with him um, with his cadence and the way he speaks in the press conferences and stuff. I know he goes out there every match and says something along the lines of "the boys gave it their all" and yada yada yada. But for fuck's sake, start just, lighting some fucking fires. Start making some heads roll. I, I feel like you know, guys like Mourinho and, and Conte, and you know, we've been blessed to have these, you know, one, amazing managers, but two, emotional managers. And we see the benefits of it in the short term, but obviously the, the negative of it in the long term. Right. Potter needs to be able to strike a balance with that. And he's only playing nice. All the time, he Bro. saw the, he saw the penalty call after the match, and just kind of was like, "Yeah, you know what? It it should have been a penalty. It was a great save by Suchek, but we move on." <laughs> yeah, I want I, you to light the fucking fourth official up. Take a yellow card, get sent to the stands. I don't give a fuck. You need to set a statement for your team, a precedent for your team. You see Pep kicking fucking water bottles mid match, and all of a sudden, City light a fire under their ass. You see Klopp absolutely tear into somebody, and all of a sudden Liverpool, at least not this season, but maybe last season, would get their shit together and find a way. I mean, great managers have that ability to snap and have that ability to contract. And it seems like Potter's only contracting. He's only reverting back into his shell, being politically correct, being nice. And it's getting to me, man. Even during the matches... There's no gesturing on the sidelines. There's no popping up out of his seat and pointing to where he wants Kukurea to make his runs. There's no pointing to where you want Kai to show for the ball. There's no, none of that. We don't see any of that. He just sits there and honestly, he looks like a dead man walking. I'm not going to lie. It, 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 it's gotten to the point now where something needs to be done with that. I, you always hate it when I bring up the degree in this emotional intelligence thing. <laughs> But for fuck's sake, if you actually have the degree, prove it. So, okay, Show so, us that you can mentally prepare this side 
to play a consistent 90 minutes. That's it. That's all we're asking for. So, 90 minutes with a plan A, B, and C. Right. So, so I, I want to play. It's not even devil's advocate because I, I, I heard somebody like, again, I, I'm looking for everyone's opinions just to be like, okay, am I stubborn? Am I not seeing it all? But somebody mentioned, I think it might have been Yannick, or, or, and he was quoting somebody else, is the fact that, sure, go out and, and make a fuss. We're used to that. I'm, you said it, Tuchel, sorry. Even Lampard to an extent. Mm-hmm. Conte, Mourinho, they do the the whole like speaking as the rest. They're going to take their fine. That's within them, right? They have egos. That's who they are. And, and that does get you like a little bit of a dopamine bounce, right? I get that. But at the same time, if if I go out and and make the whole press conference about the blown penalty call, am I also forgiving the thousand of mistakes that my players made to not win the game before then? Is, is him playing nice and saying, I can't count on the referees? a way of saying in a much milder way that can be sustainable. We didn't do enough to win on our own and we needed a VAR check to give us a chance to win. Cause the penalty doesn't give you the win immediately. Like, is he trying to, again, maybe I don't agree with the tactic, but is the tactic that we missed the ref missed the call refs are part of the game. Because if he comes out and says, nope, they stole us three points, then the players think that that performance was good enough. Is he trying to raise the standard by saying, no, no, without the VAR, like VAR robbed us, tells the players, y'all did everything perfectly, just VAR robbed us. Instead, I think he's trying to use that as a lesson almost. In his own weird, passive, emotionally intelligent way, it's like, I can't count on the referee to give me the three points. That's life. I get it. Like yeah. a storm can come hit my house with lightning, and if I didn't do a good job of saving money, that's on me. I can't blame lightning striking my house for me now being homeless. Like yeah. I think that's what he's trying to get at with this, and maybe that's the approach. And but do you agree now, with that though? Just a yes or no question. Do you agree with that? I don't approach? know yet. I don't know yet. This is the first time that I think it's like a like that he's been put into the crossroads of choosing one path or the other. Because like, I would, I would agree with it if it was more of like a Sean Dyche mentality where he goes into the press conference politically correct for the most part, but you know, and I know the second he steps foot in that locker room or dressing room, every single player is going to get smacked upside the head and cussed out. I don't get that vibe from Potter. But, like the only vibe the I'm getting is he's playing it nice in the press conferences and he's going back to the dressing room and just making us feel sorry for ourselves. You boys gave it all, you did your best, yada yada yada. It's but, a process. No, 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 but but he's saying that at the press. He's not we don't know if he's saying that in the locker room. Well, if he was if he was saying anything different in the locker room, we'd be seeing results on the pitch. And that's my argument. Mourinho or, or Conte would go into the locker room and for I'm just gonna use halftime as an example. Mourinho would go into the locker room after a bad first half, and we would come out in the second half, completely different system, completely different mindset, two or three subs hooked off, and the game changes. All of a sudden, it flips. He has that. What I'm saying, and my concern with Potter, is that he doesn't have the capability to flip that switch in the players' heads. You know, there's that, inf- there's that famous quote from John Terry where he talks about Mourinho 
And he said, the thing that made Mourinho special was that every single player in the dressing room was willing to run through a wall for him. They were all willing to go to war for him. I'm not getting that vibe with Graham Potter. I'm really not. And it's not a knock on him as a person or a human because I know not everybody's fiery. It's, I mean, that's just a personality trait. Potter might not have that. It's not, the, it's not a big deal. But to be a good manager in any sport, you have to have the know-how to get players to sort of flip that switch. I bring up screaming and yelling because that's something that's worked for Chelsea Football Club in the past with guys like you mentioned, Reno, Conte, too. Short term, but it's short term. Short term. It blows up every time. You lose the locker room again. You lose the, the good vibes the moment they go away. So, like, that's why I think Potter was brought on to begin with because these big egos are going to use the ego to drive them, but it's the same ego that completely demolishes it. But somebody we needs. Go, we go from zero to 100 back to zero. And, and I think right now it's just, it's a very slow climb because we're just not used to it. That's why I'm still like, I just need the win now because I feel like the moment two wins come in a row, I think it's going to get good. It's going to get good for a while. It's not going to be like, like you said, Mourinho yells, the team wins three in a row or the, the team wins the league cup. Then comes the summer. They spent the whole summer with Mourinho. We lose five in a row and we never recover. Mourinho gets sacked. We were in 15th place. Like, I think that's the breaking the the former Chelsea mold, and, and maybe that's why it's such a slow climb up. Maybe because we can't that's argue that we're not seeing the good. It's just that these players are so used to like daddy coming to save me with his words that maybe they haven't put the pressure on themselves. Just I'm, I'm, again, just giving the other perspective. I'm not saying it's the the full blown correct one, but. But, but again, short-termist or not, I mean, you look across any sport, every great championship slash title-winning team that's ever existed had blow-ups in the dressing room. They had players clashing heads. They had play, star player and coach clashing heads mid-season. Whatever it might be, they still figure it the fuck out. Shaq and Kobe fought every single day in practice for three, for, for God knows how many seasons, and they three-peated sure. together. I mean, but but my point is a little bit of ad, not even attitude. It's reality. It's not like you're going in there and you're telling the guys you fucking suck. Get your shit together. No, it's I see you in training every week. You guys know what you're capable of. Why are you letting yourselves down? So it's it's a matter of knowing how to stroke the player's ego in that sense. If I go up to a player that has an ego and I say, you know you're better than that. That's going to hit them different than if I say, you fucking sucked out there. It's, right. So there's a balance that Potter has to strike. If the emotional intelligence is an actual thing, he will know <laughs> what balance is. But again, what that like, balance is. Up until this week, he didn't have the luxury to like put somebody on the spot because there was nobody else. Like We talk about Mount starting five, six, seven games in a row. Well, shit, who else was going to play? Like, at one point, there was nobody else, right? Like, Ziyech was starting because there was nobody else. Like, it was happening. Chalaba had to play right back because Aspie was not cutting it. There was nobody else. Like, that's why I'm saying now, maybe we'll see those conversations. And, yeah. And so... And I, again, 
I'm not down on Potter. I just want to keep putting it out there. Like oh, no. these are just things that are that have just kind of yeah. The, the doubts. Over. I understand that. Yeah. The doubts are, are fair. but my point is now like I was saying like oh you give Potter till the very end of next season no doubt. I'm mm-hmm. saying Potter needs to now like maybe bring up the pace a little bit of this low growth because how confident. Like you need to have some confidence going into the summer if you're the owners and if you're the, the players as well. Because yeah. next season, we're bringing in more players apparently. And then there's the preseason. It's like, well, if, these, if, if we didn't do shit and we drew 80% of the games left, maybe just the job was too big. And you hate to say, see it because you gave the man five years, 12 million a year, which is a lot of money. But like we need to start seeing the performances turn into results, and, and that's it. Like I fully expect a better performance against Dortmund, and, and there's we'll get to to the whys. But I mean, we have Southampton this week, this weekend. I think I've been saying this next game is a must win. This next game is a must win. The only team that Southampton beat away or at home or something along those lines was Chelsea under Tuchel. Mm. And they just fired their manager. So perhaps manager bounce, whatever you want to call it. I don't give a fuck. We should beat Southampton. Yeah. Just like we should beat the full to West Ham. Right. But, but at this point it's we need to beat Southampton and, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I think like I'm, or I'm telling myself, I, I believe that, there may be a method to like the the calm approach here if if the lesson is to be like forget the referees referees yeah. in this league are shit but mm-hmm. now it's like okay players now let's kick it up let's raise our own standards and and Chelsea yeah. did bring that mentality coach from the All Blacks we haven't mentioned that maybe that guy's going to double down on that it's like look man you can't depend on wind you can't depend on a wet pitch you can't depend on the ref like this shit's on you. I mean, there's nothing nothing will pump the players up for a second half like doing a haka right before they run out of the tunnel. Damn. <laughs> no, but my Keppa. Listen, in all seriousness, um I want to end this match review on a positive note because I keep stating my I keep stating this over and over. I'm not down on Potter. I'm not Potter out. So, if you're thinking that, get it out of your head. But like you said, Andres, I think their results need to come quickly. I think they're, they need to come immediately, not a matter of quickly. It's immediate. Um, we need two wins in our next two matches. Um, and honestly, I think little by little, like you said, it's a gradual climb, right? It's not a sprint. Um, we're definitely not at the apex yet, and we're very much on our way there. But you know, look at the little things. Keppa's regained a decent run of form that we could ride out through the rest of the highest, season. Highest safe percentage in the Premier League. Currently. Highest safe percentage in the Premier League right now. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, we found a center back pairing that works and that's reliable. And right? that will be here next year again. Exactly. We also have the cover for those center backs that have Plenty. proved to be reliable, right? That's one. Chilwell is coming back. Reese James is looking a little bit healthier. Still not all the way there, but it's coming. And we have his backup ready for next year. 
Thank you. Enzo's cooking. Nuff said. RLC's cooking. Nuff said. Gallagher looked a little bit better playing next to a guy like Enzo. Less of a chicken with his head cut off. Conte's coming back. If Conte could stay healthy for any run of games, good God, nobody's fucking scoring on us. <laughs> um, the the th- the three midfielders playing in front of our pivot, Mudrik, Felix, um, Madueke, they all look promising. I mean, we're on the, we're on the up. At the end of the day, if you look at this team, it cannot get worse than it is now. It really can't. I mean, and it has it, gotten better. There, it has gotten better. better. We're not conceding three goals a game. Yeah. yeah, the defense is now formidable. Mm-hmm. One lapse of judgment today. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't have any other worries outside of that goal. Um, and now the the attack had chances today. We yeah. could have had three to finish the first half. Where, like I said, I think this team just needs to blow up one game, one game to believe. Like, oh shit, we that are capable of scoring. Never happened. That's I the know, thing. man. It's just like floodgates need, and that's the thing. Like, it didn't happen last season, and look what happened to us last season. Yeah, fucking one nil was the best we could do, and it was a struggle every ninety minutes. So, yeah, let's let's get to Ronnie's point. Yeah, at CFC, Ronnie asks, I really like the prospect of what's happening with this team. Just need time. A little and a little luck to go our way would be nice too. So <laughs> I said I wanted to end it on a positive note, man. I mean, I think Ronnie summarized it perfectly. I think the prospect of what this team could be is very interesting. I'm definitely going to be here for the ride. I do think they need time. And also, we do need luck because if VAR is not going to give us clear penalty shouts, might be hard to win every game when we do get up and running, right? Full tilt. So I don't know. Is there anything else you want to kind of add to that? Any more positivity you want to sprinkle on this section so it doesn't look like we're all negative Nancys all the time? I I don't know. I think I, I think I finished positive. I don't know what else to add. I think yeah. okay. we're getting healthier. <laughs> there we go. As no long as we're getting guys bad. back, man. That's the big thing. Um Borussia Dortmund coming up on Wednesday uh, in the Champions League knockout stage um, at Signal Iduna Park. Andres, you mentioned it before the pod started that Dortmund um, is going to have their stadium at full capacity for that match, which they haven't had all Champions League so far, all season, I think, right? I don't know what the stipulation was. For some reason, they were limited. I don't know. But they're up to, as of days ago, 81,000 strong, and you know they're going to sell out. Yeah, the yellow wall is going to be in full effect. I mean, we know that Dortmund's one of the most intimidating places. And I think there's some Chelsea players that are going to be no stranger to knowing how formidable Dortmund is to go play, or how formidable Signal Iduna Park is to go play at. You guys like Kai Havertz uh, played there when he was at Leverkusen, Pulisic obviously from Dortmund as well. Um, you know, So they're going to be very familiar with the environment um, and you know just the general pace of the game. Couple things about Borussia Dortmund. I mean, they've been on a fucking tear um, in the calendar year 2023. They've been unbeaten um, in all competitions. Um, not real. Not any real major injury concerns for them. Thomas Munier is out. Um, the only other questionable person here is uh, Yusufa Mukoko, but I believe he played this weekend. If I'm not mistaken, I'm just going to check on that um, shortly. I'll get back to you guys on that. But other than that, it doesn't really look like there's any um, you know, major injury concerns for them heading into this match. 
Sebastian Allaire is back. They finally got their target man. They've been playing with he a scored. false nine for the most part. And just to correct myself, Mukoko did play this weekend. He came off in the 29th minute, so questionable. Not sure if he's going to play. That'll be something to keep an eye on for sure. Because if that's the case, then they have to start Allaire. Um, and, I mean, he's, he's back. He's scoring goals. He looks pretty good. He that loves being a good said, Champions League goal. Yeah, exactly. So, all things considered, Dortmund are sitting third in the Bundesliga, three points behind league leaders Bayern. They're on 40 points. Bayern's on 43. Um, and they're definitely a shout to uh, contend for the title if they can keep this form up all season. So, heading into this match, Andres, um, I mean, I, I, I wrote my starting lineup out here in front of me, but just kind of tell me who you want to see, what you want to see, um, yeah. how we can, you know, kind of game plan for them. I mean, four two three one's a must. Kepa in goal, Chilwell at left back. I think he's probably now ready to give us sixty minutes rather than thirty. Uh, center back pairing: Thiago Silva, Chalaba, because mm. Badia Shield is not registered. Mm. Something to to note: he is not one of the three signings. Uh, Reese James at right back. I don't know if our other midfield options are ready yet since they didn't play today. So I don't know if I'd jump in and, and throw Zakaria or Kovacic yet. So I'd probably stick to the same pivot. Enzo lost his cheek. Mudrik on the left. Felix down the middle. I don't know who's available on the right. So it might be Ziyech. Maduike also. Potentially. Yeah, could be Mount. Maduike also not registered. And then. Unfortunately, Kai has to start again, even though he's now missed, I believe, like six chances in the past two matches. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the part that sort of sort of sucks. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe you put Mount at the ten, Felix on the right, and and you still are sort of stuck with Kai up top, just because again Sterling picked up some sort of knock and he wasn't in our in our squad midweek. So yeah, it, like from the back to about midfield, everything looks perfect, and it's just like the tip of the, the tip of the top is, is is where I'm just concerned. Is can yeah. we get the goal? I I think we are, even though form doesn't show it, like in terms of the results. I think on paper and and on t- and the way we played these thirty minutes, I think we have, and the way we usually play in in Champions League period, we should be able to win this match. Um, but I'll get to that after after you drop your 11. Yeah, I mean, my 11, similar to yours, I have the same back four. Chilwell on the left, Chalabino, Thiago Silva, center backs, Reese James, right back, double pivot, Enzo and RLC. Um, and my midfield three is going to be Mudrik on the left, Felix up the middle. And if Sterling's healthy, I have him starting on the right, but I have a feeling Mason Mount's going to be the one starting on the right for some reason. Um, Kai Havertz up top. I don't want to see Havertz up top, but I think that's what we're going to see. And dare I say it, this isn't me being glass half full because I haven't seen enough from Kai for me to fully believe in him, but maybe he actually gets a hard-on for this match because he's playing against some of his Germany <laughs> teammates. Bundesliga team. <laughs> coming back to the Bundesliga, maybe this is a great chance for him to market himself to Bundesliga teams again for the summer because, fuck's sake, I want him out of here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's my team. I'm a little concerned with, um, with this match though, Andres. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Dortmund's looked really, really good as of late. 
Um, you know, they got a ton of guys in form. I mean, their their last match they had a two and a half XG, which is pretty ridiculous. I just I I I don't know how it's going to turn out. I think um, the midfield kind of cancels each other out. I think Enzo and Jude Bellingham are going to cancel each other out in terms of effectiveness on the pitch, and it's pretty much up to the rest of the guys to kind of get us across the line. So for me, the big equalizer in this game is going to be our fullbacks. That's going to be absolutely crucial to keeping them pinned back. You know they're going to come at us with a high press. Um, so you know finding the quick, safe passes is going to be huge. I think Enzo will have plenty of opportunity to play guys like Mudrick and uh, Sterling into space, hopefully, um, over the top because of their high press, if we can break it. And it's a Chelsea podcast. I got to predict oh, Chelsea win. <laughs> so I'm going to go 1-0. One, one nil. One nil. Um, one nil. The more you mentioned it, the more I'm like, oh, maybe Mount on the right wouldn't be the worst thing because – that allows Reese to to sort bomb of bomb forward, uh, yeah, bomb forward, overlap, just a little bit more dimension than Ziyech going to his left every single time. Uh, and then, yeah, he can drop into midfield and, and make it sort of like a four-three-three at times if if Reese is bombing, like you said. Um, something about Champions League, man. We we destroyed Milan on the way to this point with a very similar eleven. Something about Champions League nights. Again, this young team is going to get super motivated to play this. I I, I say if we score early, that's the thing. It's always if we score early. Um, 2-1 Chelsea. I think it's, I mean, Dortmund is in full full stride. I Like you said, it'll be a very full stadium. Good vibes only sort of situation for them. So, yeah, I... It'll be it'll be a really good match, but again, we thrive when teams play open against us. So, yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two one. All right, I mean, it's kind of ended on that note. Um, if you guys are still I listening, do, I do want to say it. one thing because you were like, "Oh, give me something positive." Um, Andre Santos scored the winning goal to win the U20 Championship, which made him the leading scorer for Brazil in the whole tournament with six. And everything points at the fact that Chelsea's working extremely hard for that visa. And it's just like, hey, man, huh. that dude just had an amazing January slash beginning of February. Um, well, thanks for sharing that, Andy. Um, it's always good to end the pod on a positive note, I guess. Um, if you guys are still listening, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Blues on Parade. We do record an episode after every match. And we also post a questions tweet that gives you an opportunity to be featured on the pod. So make sure you're replying to that tweet, adding any comments, um, comments, things you observe during the game, or just some general questions that you might have. Um, so until next week, let's keep the blue flag flying high.